Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Has a honeymoon period. Nearly everything in life has a honeymoon period. Whether that's a relationship, when you get involved with it, it's, this is the one, I've, this is it, I've, this is great. Or maybe it's a job. Ah, this job, this is so much better than my old job. My old job was awful. This new job is great. Or maybe it's the home that we live in. Ah, this, this new place is so great. I remember when Andrew and I were married for a few years, we moved into our second apartment. And I was so charmed by all of these angular walls that our apartment had, all of these strange sort of cut-ins to the room. And when we moved in, I was like, how cool is this? What a quirky thing to have six walls in every room. Isn't that neat? By the time I, we moved out of that apartment, I was very done with the fact that, why can't you just have square rooms? I'll take rectangles. Why is every room an octagon? What is going on? What I thought was charming was really just the landlord's ability to squeeze one more apartment into every building by taking little chunks out of every one of our rooms. The honeymoon was over. Relationships are hard work. And soon we find that they're difficult and it's not exactly the easiness as it is at the beginning. Jobs all get tedious and frustrating. And even if your house has normal weapons, we tend to get sour. What happens, we tend to get sour, whether it's because of our relationships, our job, our homes, our children. You fill in the blank with what it is, we get frustrated. Why? Why? Why do we get frustrated over this stuff? It's because we have been conditioned in this life to evaluate everything that goes on on the basis of the here and now on the basis of this moment, what is happening right now. This happens in small ways. When we're going out to eat with some of our friends and they all suggest that we go to a restaurant that we quietly don't like, what happens? We go because they're our friends, but down inside, we're not happy about it. I'm not happy because I didn't want to go there. I don't like that restaurant. It's not my favorite restaurant. But this happens in bigger ways. This happens in more serious ways. One of the ways that we see this in our life is the, ways, is the ways that we are so quick to be discontent and envious. Our, our whole system that we live in, the whole world around us and inside of us conditions us to be envious conditions us to be always striving to be a little, a little bit more like those people we admire. We're always striving to get the next gadget, to level up in our house, to find that relationship that we're looking for, to get that promotion. And when we don't get it, well, you know what happens because it happens to all of us. When we don't get that thing that we're envious of, that thing that we're not content about, we get frustrated. So what do we do? Most of us, myself included, double down. We say, ah, yes, I know that this promotion didn't make me happy, but the next one, 
That's the one that's going to work. I know that this relationship didn't work out, but the next one is the one. I know that this house is not making me happy, but you know what? Well, the next house. And we just live in a cycle of discontent. It's interesting that the, the algorithms of social media are programmed to do this to you. As you go through your scroll feeds, whether that's, whether that's social media or aggregated news sites, whatever you kind of see, as you go through those things, as you see them kind of repetitively coming back and back and back, as you look at all of them, you get frustrated, you get envious, you become discontent. And then after you've been discontent for a little while, boom, guess what happens? There's an ad for Amazon.com where all of your discontentment can be fixed with a package that will be delivered to your house within 48 hours. Just click here. And so what do we do? It gets us. It gets us every time. I'm discontent because I'm seeing, the, oh, oh, I'm unhappy. Oh, this is such frustrating time. Oh, oh, ooh. Well, that apron doubles as a knife roll. I could use, you know, you know, I think, in spite of all this frustration, I think that'll make me happy. And I get it. And I like it. And then two nights later, I'm scrolling through. And I'm discontent. And what do I, what do, what do you do? Maybe you have better self-control than I do. I don't know. But it's almost like, it's almost like our comfort and our security it's almost like the ways that we try to control situations. It's almost like those things don't fulfill us the way that we want them to. It's strange. It's strange the way that they don't fulfill us. And then not only do we sort of see this happening in our discontent, but we also see this in the way that we view the world. How many times in the past few years have you heard an argument about what's going on that takes into account a long sweep of history? Or do we have corporate, cor corporate amnesia? Do we only remember things that happened 12 months ago, maybe five years ago? And if you really want to go back into ancient history, go back 20 years ago. What happens when we get sort of short-sighted, when we're just living in this moment, is we can't see the long arc of redemption in this world. We can't see the big picture of what is happening, the long sweep of history. And because our functional memories only go back a few years, we live right now in the present in just these few moments. And our happiness, our mood, our attitude is absolutely based on how the last five days have gone. Maybe some of us don't even live by the tyranny of the present. But with the second fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of joy, what we're being called to as Christians is something very different. It's to, to fight against the cultural stream that we naturally go in. We're, we're, we're called to go in a different direction. And that different direction that we're called to go is to remember what God has done. See, true Christian joy, real Christian joy is based on this twin idea that God is good and that he is in control. That is the source of all of our joy. That is the source of 
everything that happens inside of our hearts that fights against this temporary, moment-by-moment tyranny of the present. If we want to break free from that slavery to the moment, what we have to remember is that God is good and that God is in control. Now, those of you who are Christians, these are not new ideas to you. It is not shocking or a hot take for me to tell you God is good and God is in control. I'm a pastor. That's sort of like the things that I'm, you know, supposed to say. If you're a Christian, that's like the things that you're supposed to believe. Nobody would really deny that. Now, maybe we'll argue a detail here or there about what does his control look like. But at the end of the day, we all have some assumption that he is in control and that he is good. So our problem isn't that we know that. Our problem is that we let all these other things in every moment distract us from that truth. And when we, are, when we aren't looking at that truth, when we aren't holding that truth solid in our hearts, that, that's when our joy gets short-circuited. So this morning, I want to show you how we can begin to look and see and how the Holy Spirit can grow the fruit of joy in us. So I'd invite you, if you're able, to stand. I'm going to read uh, four verses from the book of Philippians. I'm going to read verses uh, 4 through 7 of chapter 4. So if you would, please stand with me as I read God's Word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. In spite of everything that's happening in this moment, in spite of everything that's going on in our lives around us, everything that we carry with us in this morning, Paul says to us that you need to have joy at all times and in all situations. Our joy should be all the time and in every situation. That sounds like a lot. And that's kind of counterintuitive. It's at least counterintuitive to the way that we normally live our lives because we live in the moment. Right now, what happened on your way here determines your mood when you got here. I mean, how many of us will be driving somewhere that we're excited to go and then all of a sudden somebody cuts us off because they don't know how to merge on 4th Avenue North because it's their first time in St. Petersburg and then all of a sudden we're frustrated and we carry that into our whole morning here. Maybe just me. Here's one that I know is me. Here's one that I know works out in my own life. What happens to me is my mood will swing based on the attendance of City Church. A lot of people here, happy Justin. Slightly disappointing number of people here, grumpy Justin. And then by Thursday, I start to forget about it. And then next Sunday rolls around and I'm back on the roller coaster. Could be good, could be bad, could be up, could be down. Let's roll the dice and see what kind of Sunday I'm going to have. Paul is specifically trying to subvert this way of living that you and I have. 
this roller coaster that you and I live on based on whatever is happening in a particular moment. I mean, I have seen so many uh, numerous church plants shut down in the past year as we have walked through COVID. Is it because those pastors were bad? Is it because they had some secret sin? Is was, was it because that those pastors weren't doing their job? I know that the answer is no, but I live my life as if the answer is yes. Because I am absolutely a slave to the moment. I'm a slave to the present. Whatever is going on right now, whatever is going on this week, absolutely drives me. And we all do. We all are affected by this. And that's why Paul wants us to remember that at all times and in all ways, we are to have joy. Because joy is stepping out of that current. Joy is looking at something more than just the roller coaster. Joy is settled on the eternal truth. God is good and has been good since all eternity past. He didn't start being good this week. He didn't start being good when you got that promotion. He didn't start being good when this moment happened that made you really happy. He has been good for all eternity and will be good into the consummation of the earth. This is not temporary. And not only that, but he is in control. We oftentimes will recite the Heidelberg Catechism here at City Church. And one of the lines there is that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father. This is nothing new. God didn't just come to power recently. He has been good for all time. And he has been control, in control for all time. And so when we begin to think about that, when we begin to let that, his eternal goodness, his eternal control settle into our hearts, we can begin to look at history with a broader scope. We can begin to look at our lives with a bigger picture. And when we begin to see and trust and believe, really believe that he is good, really believe that he is in control, we're no longer living on that roller coaster we can begin to see with the eyes of faith that he is at work in our lives, even in difficult times, even in struggles. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to just pose a question to you, which is, how do you get off of the roller coaster of the tyranny of the moment? How do you step out of that? I believe that there are answers that, that I don't think that Christianity is the only answer to that. I think there are ways that people engage with that question from other perspectives. But I want to ask you, is that fulfilling? Is that beautiful? Because I believe that the, the picture that Christianity gives of the absolute goodness and absolute control over this world that God has is beautiful and compelling. It paints a picture of what God is doing that allows us to see him in all of his glory through what he is doing in our lives, but it requires us to take a longer view than we're used to. Because Christianity is not just us sort of, sort of believing that things happen at random. When we believe in God's active role in this world and his active goodness, it swallows up words like accidental. It swallows up words like random. 
And all of a sudden, every part of this life is something more than just the temporary. The joy that we're required to have is not temporary and circumstantial, which is why Paul then begins to work out what does this joy look like in our lives. It's easy to think of the verses that follow verse 4 as Proverbs, as these are just some random things that Paul was thinking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, you should rejoice. Uh, You should be reasonable. That's a good thing. Uh, Thanksgiving, everybody grab on that one. Yep, every Christian should do that. Oh, and by the way, you should have peace, okay? So got it, team? Let's go. Rather, what I think is going on here as you read this is that Paul says that we should rejoice in the Lord always. And then what happens is as we rejoice, as we consider that, as we base our lives on that twin truth of the goodness of God and the fact that he is in control, as that begins to work itself out, it has a natural way of changing the way that we relate to others, changing the way we relate to our circumstances and changing the way that we relate to the future. If I am trusting that God is good and that he is in control, all of a sudden when I have a disagreement with someone, I don't have to be hostile. I don't have to be argumentative or combative. Because no matter what that other person believes, no matter what that other person is arguing, God is still good. God is still in control. So I can be reasonable. I can be kind. I can disagree without being a jerk. I can be reasonable to all people. Why? Because because God's still in control. Because even if this person believes something that I don't believe, God's still good. I can have kindness in the way that I relate to others based on the joy from those settled truths. But it's not just that we're reasonable. It's also that we get to approach our circumstances with thanksgiving. Now, this is one is a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Because I look around the world and I see so many things that are difficult. I have so many situations that are difficult in my own life. And I know you do too, which is interesting. That's why Paul contrasts thanksgiving with anxiety. Now, of course, I've said this before, and it bears speaking again. Paul here is not trying to diagnose clinical anxiety, but rather the sort of garden variety anxiety that we all experience. And most of the time when we're experiencing that sort of common anxiety, it's because we're not believing that God is good or that he is in control. Our anxiety wells up because we think that we have to grab onto the control. Our lack of thanksgiving comes from the fact that we don't think God is good. But if we are trusting in those things, if we are having that joy grown in our heart, we'll be able to look at the situations around us with thanksgiving. And then we'll be able to look at the future with peace. A settled resolve that I know that whatever happens, come what may, God will still be good. And God will still be in control. Parents, some of you may look around and go, I can't wait till my kids are out of this stage. But when we believe that God is good and he's the giver of our children, all of a sudden something different happens in our heart and we can be thankful. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a student. Maybe you're in middle school or high school and you're anxious about what might happen next, about about the grades that you're going to get, the tests that you have to take. If we're settled on the idea that God is good and that he is control, who is the one who has placed us in that school to begin with? 
Now, as I thought about these two illustrations, it's hard because for some of us, and for some of you out there, there may be the, the struggle that you hear those illustrations and you go, yeah, but not me. I'm no longer a kid and I don't have kids. Maybe you're struggling with something like infertility. And all of a sudden, the tyranny of the now gets even bigger. That sort of urgent thing that draws us into the roller coaster becomes more ominous because it's harder to trust in God with those bigger things. Yeah, grades, cool, fine. You know, you'll have more grades next nine weeks. You know, kids will grow up, life situations will change. But what about those things that feel permanent? What about those things that we can't shake, the sort of things that keep us up at night? When we're dealing with something that is, the, the shadow is bigger, it's harder to see the light of joy through it. In many ways, suffering threatens to eclipse our ability to have joy. But it's interesting the way that the Bible works. Because for you and I, we'd often see suffering as the opposite of joy. That on a scale, you have suffering over here and joy on the other side. But that's not the way that the Bible sees things. The Bible says that the opposite of joy is not suffering. It's hopelessness. It's despair. It's a belief that things will never change and they'll never get better. And that everything awful will always happen. It's the opposite of believing that God is good and that he's in control. So then what about suffering? If despair and hopelessness are the opposite of joy, what about suffering? The Bible actually connects joy and suffering. You think about that Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. And when Paul first visited this church, when he first came to the city of Philippi, he was imprisoned. And what did Paul end up doing while he was in prison in Philippi? He stayed up all night singing. He had joy in the midst of suffering. We see this in James as well. James that we just finished studying as a church. What does the very beginning of James say? Consider it pure joy when you, when you encounter trials of all kinds. When you're going through hardships and trials, that's where you should count it as all joy. That sort of doesn't mesh in our brains. But I think the place where we see this, where we see joy and suffering blended together in the most beautiful and significant way is where Hebrews 12 tells us. As we begin to think about running this race, as we begin to think about going through all of the difficulties of our lives, difficulties that have to do with, with identity, with failed expectations, uh, things that have to do with all of the hardships that we go through in life that are longer than just the temporary, these long-term things that tempt us towards despair and hopelessness, as we endure the race that God has set before us, the writer of Hebrews points us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The writer of Hebrews ties the cross of Jesus and that suffering to Jesus' joy. Was it just because Jesus was really good at believing that God is good and that God is in control? Well, yes, but more than that, what Jesus knew on the cross that allowed him to suffer, full display, 
It was giving power to those ideas. It was the conduit by which we could experience God's goodness and God's blessing. The cross of Jesus Christ is the place where suffering and joy meet mingled together. It's the goodness of God displayed to his people by the forgiveness that he was winning for us. It's the control of God lived out in reality that Jesus was no helpless victim, surprised by what happened to him that Friday in Jerusalem. Rather, he was fulfilling all of the prophecies of the Old Testament and all of what we needed in order to be reconciled to God so that we are no longer slaves to sin and no longer slaves to the urgent, to the temporary, to the roller coaster of the moment. On the cross of Jesus Christ, he painted the most vivid picture of the goodness of God mixed with the fact that God is in control. And so our joy is not foundless. Our joy is not this mustering up. Rather, our joy comes from the meditation on what God has already done for us, on the good news of the gospel. Because of the cross, we can trust in the goodness of God. Because of the cross, we can trust in the sovereignty of God, which is just the $10 word for the fact that he's in control. The cross is the moment where those things are blended together. As we look at the cross, we see God saying to us, here is how much I love you. I love you enough that this suffering is joy because it is our reconciliation. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what urgent moment is going on in your life, no matter what others have said about you, no matter what others have said to you, the cross of Jesus Christ is God saying to you, I love you and I'm for you and I'm for you to the point of it costing my own life. And so as we meditate on that church, let us settle our heart on these truths. The goodness of God is that he has set his affection on you. And even in our struggles, he isn't absent. He is with you. And he is good. And not only that, but we have joy in this moment because we can trust in that. We don't have to look just at our temporary moment-by-moment -moment way of living, but rather we can have a joy that endures into every facet of our lives. We can have a joy that teaches us how to love others even in the midst of disagreement. We have a joy because of our settled faith in who God is and the character of God himself. We have a joy that allows us to give thanks even in the midst of something we don't understand. We have a joy that allows us to imagine a future that is different than the pain of our past and that allows us to have peace. This joy that God wants us to have is not a fruit of our effort. It's not a fruit of our work, but rather it is the message of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ sown into the soil of our souls. And as we see that seed sown, the seed of, God, seed of God's goodness, the seed of God's sovereignty, as that is sown into our hearts, as we believe that more and more, the Holy Spirit begins to produce the fruit of joy.
as we understand what he has done for us. This morning, church, may we strive more and more to sow that gospel message into our hearts that we might reap joy given to us by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.